February of 1820, Mary Shelley, the mother of horror, completed her second long-form story. That novella, Matilda, is possibly more disturbing than her breakout novel, Frankenstein. The story is narrated from Matilda's deathbed when, as a young adult, she desperately tries to explain the motivations of her life decisions in a letter to her friend Woodville. We learn with Woodville that Matilda's mother died shortly after her birth and Matilda's father abandoned her. Matilda grew up with her aunt, but at 16 she met her father again, who became incestuously obsessed with Matilda. Matilda's father could not stop his perverted feelings for his daughter and committed suicide. Matilda tried to continue living in society for a short time, but eventually faked her own death and hid herself away in a small country cottage. There she meets Woodville, a poet mourning the death of his fiancée. As they become friends, Matilda proposes a joint suicide, but Woodville stops her. When Woodville must leave to tend to his ailing mother, Matilda wanders outside through the night, sleeping in the rain and becoming sick herself. Matilda writes her story for Woodville, knowing she is on death's door. This work has fascinated scholars for a very long time and led to many debates. Interestingly, throughout the novel, Matilda refuses to name her father. This and other indicators lead some scholars to celebrate the work as a darkly macabre feminist work, pulling the power of the narrative out of the father's hands and allowing Matilda to tell the story on her own terms. Hello witches, women, and other fabulous listeners. This is Hannah, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of Witches and Women. In this podcast, we explore the lives of powerful women because they are amaze, fascinating, and often inspiring. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or even YouTube. And if you do social media, of Witches and Women is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So look us up. Of course, you need to check out the website, which is my most in-depth and exciting resource. When you visit ofwitchesandwomen.com, you'll find excellent merchandise, including our custom Medusa and Persephone t-shirts, only available through August. You'll also find the Grimoire Gallery, our internet gallery dedicated to art about women and the occult. This season, it's curated to include women, witches, queens, and goddesses of ancient Greece and Greek mythology. To me, the best part of the Grimoire Gallery is that it is made possible by contemporary working artists around the world today. You can link to their personal websites and see more of their work via the Grimoire Gallery, plus you can even buy some of their prints starting at $15 on the shop page of our website. If you're not a fan of fake news, you can also visit the Lamia Library, where I list my show notes and other resources and recommendations. And of course, we have an awesome newsletter, The Oracle. The Oracle features short and more obscure stories than we have time to cover on the podcast, and it's fascinating. You can subscribe at the bottom of any page of the website, so be sure to visit ofwitchesandwomen.com today.
Today's episode is brought to you by Honestly Essential Oils. Unlike the essential oil barons, Honestly Essential Oils is a small family-run company with fewer employees than I have fingers and no soccer moms pushing their product. Because Honestly Essential Oils doesn't have to pay a long line of salespeople, before the oils ever reach you, their oils are far less expensive than other companies. Plus, Honestly Essential Oils are sourced and tested by a separate company to ensure a high concentration of top quality oils in every bottle. Honestly, essential oils are great for spell work, massages, or adding a fresh scent to your oil diffuser. You can try Honestly Essential Oils for yourself and get 10% off with your first order when you use the promo code WITCHES at checkout. So, go to honestlyessential.com today and use the promo code WITCHES at checkout for 10% off. Stefano, Uriel, and Medusa were the three daughters of some minor sea gods. They were lovely, strong, but fairly powerless deities who grew each day in beauty and grace. Raised to worship and respect their more powerful relatives, the girls decided to become virgin priestesses to the wise and powerful goddess Athena. They rose from their watery home and traveled inland to Athens to serve in the goddess's temple. Athena honored the commitments of all of her priestesses. She showed favor to the girls, who continued to grow into strong women and noble priestesses. The sisters of the sea became known as the Gorgons, protectors and servants of the goddess. In fact, Medusa's name itself means guardian or protectress, and she held a special place of honor among the goddess of war's priestesses, matron of her temple. But all was not well for the sisters. Poseidon, maybe jealous that they had left his realm for another, or maybe just thinking with the wrong head, a common theme among the men of Olympus, was furious that the Gorgons worshipped at Athena's temple. Poseidon rose from the water and hunted them down, raping Medusa on the temple steps, violating both Medusa and Athena at once. Medusa, of course, was crushed, the protector broken. Her sisters gathered around her, carried her into the temple, and protected her until Athena arrived. Together, they mourned. But once the mourning had ended, the goddess of strategy knew that she was trapped. She could not start a war she knew she would lose with the all-powerful god of the sea, but she had a daughter to protect. She knew that Poseidon was marking his territory, proving his power over both her and the Gorgons, and Athena had to protect them. Athena had to fight a battle so clever that Poseidon would never even recognize that he had lost. So Athena blessed the Gorgons with faces so fierce they would turn men to stone. To the men of Olympus, it seemed a punishment on the Gorgons, and they breathed easy. But to the Gorgons, it must have been a huge blessing, a guarantee against the force of men. Athena sent the Gorgons to an otherwise empty island of Sarpedon, where they lived peacefully in a palace carved from the island's rock face. But even the goddess of wisdom can't fully fathom the pride of men. 
Eventually, men began to hunt the Gorgons, thinking they protected fabulous wealth, and that slaying a Gorgon would grant them glory and favor among gods and men alike. Over and over again, every foolish man who forced his way into the sanctuary of the Gorgons turned to stone, giving hard-headed an entirely new meaning. But one day, Perseus, son of Zeus and great-grandfather of Hercules, sailed to Sarpedon's shores. Using a mirrored shield and his heightened, god-given abilities, he snuck up on Medusa, the original protector, and cut off her head. He threw Medusa's head in a sack, closed his eyes, and ran from her sisters, who screamed once they found the body of their wonderful, fierce, beautiful sister, headless and spilling blood in their one sanctuary, while her head was once again dragged off in service of a man. They wept day and night for their sister. Unwilling to risk hurting the innocent people of Greece by leaving the island to hunt for the man who had killed her, the Gorgons were trapped at last, no longer living together at home, but stuck in a dungeon of vivid memories. Perseus, in an act befitting a son of Zeus, both in hubris and stupidity, presented Medusa's head to Athena at the Council of the Gods. Athena was always in a precarious position in this council. Athena was loathed by Hera, her stepmother. She was one of only three virgin goddesses who refused to conform to the gods' patriarchal demands, and she was easily the biggest threat on the council due to her perfect balance of both feminine and masculine powers. When facing down Perseus as he attacked her priestess, she chose to keep the peace. She had no choice but to accept the head of the monster she had created. Athena mounted Medusa's head on her battle shield. Over the years, historians and poets have said that the move honored Perseus and was an act of dominance over the monster who dared to be raped on the steps of her temple. But Athena, goddess of strategy, and warcraft, protector of women, has no higher place of honor to give her protector than the face of her shield. From that day forward, Medusa protected her goddess in every battle, battles which Athena always won, for none could look upon her shield, a reminder of Athena's cunning and a memorial of her one failure. Since today we are honoring Medusa, I need to take this opportunity to tell you about the awesome Medusa merchandise we have in the shop. We have Gorgon stickers and t-shirts, as well as Team Medusa joggers, which are so cute, and custom Medusa art prints by the amazingly talented local artist Raven Shipley. The Medusa artwork is available both as a print for your wall and as a t-shirt, so check out that merchandise today. We also have beautiful prints of Hecate by Maddie Ryan and some more lighthearted merchandise from past episodes like Pandora's reusable canvas tote bag, as well as merchandise that will make a lot more sense in a few episodes, like a shirt about Circe, the most powerful Greek sorceress, who really liked turning men into, well, 
You'll either have to wait for the episode and see, or find out by going to the website. When you buy art, either as a print or a t-shirt, the proceeds go to the hardworking artists who created it. And when you buy the other merchandise, I can afford to buy myself a Pop-Tart. So take a look at ofwitchesandwomen.com shop. The Roman poet Ovid claimed that Athena was enraged with Medusa for being raped by Poseidon in Athena's temple. Ovid's Perseus states that the punishment was justified, that Medusa's victimhood made it okay for her to be forced out of safety and into a cave as a guardian of treasure she could never possess. It also made it okay for Perseus to cut off her head and for Athena to wear it on her shield a trophy of strategic triumph and a weapon that none could bear to see. What's more, Pegasus erupted from the pregnant, dead belly of Medusa and Perseus rode Pegasus across the desert in Ovid's poem, and the drops of blood from Medusa's severed head created poisonous serpents of the region, further dishonoring Medusa beyond the limitations of her living breath. But that's Ovid's narrative. And for thousands of years, it was the only acceptable narrative. But what if Mary Shelley had written that story? What if it was Athena or Medusa whose poems we were reading? I imagine it would sound a lot more like the story I told you today. Medusa and her sisters devoted to the goddess, attacked by a jealous and entitled god, and protected by the goddess in the only way she knew how. Solidarity and sisterhood. Today's charm is a mental exercise to help you release the frustrations of the past year so that you're ready to begin the new year afresh. Start by writing down things that frustrate you, things that you're embarrassed by, regrets of the years, setbacks you've had. You could do this over the course of a few days. Once they're all written down, roll up the paper you wrote them on and burn it in an empty sink. Be sure you have plenty of ventilation first and watch as your frustrations burn. Focus on the physical reaction you have to those memories and disappointments. Do you feel shame or tension? Unclench your jaw, relax your hands, correct your posture, roll your shoulders, allow yourself to release your regrets as easily as flame releases ash. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure you and your friends are subscribed to Of Witches and Women, and please leave us a magical review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Check us out on social media and look up the Of Witches and Women website for even more great content. Stay fierce, witches, and we'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.